Oh, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like a printer disaster to ruin a good mood. So, Joanna, how are you? I'm alive. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Pretty furious at the printer, but that's fading with every second, which is good. Excellent. My joints hurt quite a lot today because of, I assume, barometric pressure. I don't know. I somehow made my shoulder do a thing halfway through yoga and had to stop for 10 minutes and ice my shoulder down before I could keep going. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. My shoulder blade has just started pinging. Hmm, interesting. And it's not on the shingle side, so I know it's not because I still keep getting random nerve pain on that side, which is great. Aren't we? Yeah, I highly recommend waking up in the middle of the night because part of the right-hand side of your body has suddenly decided to be on fire. Yeah, no, you're all right, mate. I'll stick with the arthritis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I had a very nice morning reading the rest of the first part of this book. Excellent. Well done. Ooh, I did my grocery order for the next couple of weeks though which means i've ordered bits for when you come around for your birthday oh yeah it's a week today fuck me yeah last week, week my today. 20s exciting yeah i'm kind of i've moved past the crisis stage now i'm calm I'm, acceptance I'm, yeah calm, calm acceptance with what is it i imagine some kind of last fit of emotion on the thursday but that's fine well we can record on the thursday if you want that'd be great oh yeah that sounds good yeah <laughs> have we had a podcast episode since the news about good omens 2 came out no and ooh. no no because we had the bonus episode last week which meant yes. we just launched straight into the clowns for listeners who don't yet support us on patreon we did a clown <laughs> optimistic the don't hole. yet <laughs> yet support us on patreon we just did a clown the rabbit hole episode ha, ha. Ha, ha. i did a powerpoint presentation on clowns and it was fun it was i enjoyed it very much surprisingly very few eggs, if any at all. In fact, I think all the egg mentions were mine. Clearly, I've been scarred. <laughs> I kept the eggs to a minimum for you, Francine. So yeah, so we haven't been able to talk about this on the actual podcast, but there's going to be a good omen, series two. Series two. In fact, I think I even put some notes about this in the soft. Well, no, I put good omens two, electric boogaloo, two good, two omens, good omens, the two towers. But yeah, so new series of good omens coming. We are excited. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I was definitely when I heard the news. So, yeah, let's say yes. I just don't hold on to emotions for very long. Um, <laughs> I was excited. Yeah, about... I am looking forward to it. I like that universe. I enjoy all the actors. I like Neil Gaiman as a writer, obviously. Um, I, from a fandom point of view, I'm not upset about it because they're not going to be trying to retell a story I already know. Yeah, And if it is bad, the book won't stop existing. Even that, to me, it doesn't. It, it doesn't affect how you'd see the first book to me just because it is a different story. Yeah. Like the whole, it doesn't get rid of the book kind of applies to any adaptation, even if it's a straight adaptation. But for this one, it's just, yeah, it's like if someone wrote a picture of Dorian Gray 2 or something, I'd be like, oh, interesting choice. I'll watch that and it won't like upset me for Oscar Wilde's sake. <laughs> I think part of the reason I've started pointing that out so much is because obviously we saw all the backlash and stuff around the watch, which is finally available to watch in the UK and we are going to do episodes on it. We saw it and we're part of it. Um, hang on, we were part of what? The backlash. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, we got very up in arms, especially after the Comic-Con panel. We haven't watched the actual show yet, but I think watching everyone gets so angry and upset about it. And I just thought there's just... So many other places your energy could go. I mean, genuinely, again, including me. Like, I yeah, got no. a pre- I got pretty 
like bristly i think largely just because of the sounds i'm seeing and like the alcoholism thing and then looking back i'm like oh wow i really don't care anymore like a week later i didn't care anymore so yeah i think it was sybil for me but it was the same thing i got really up in arms about it and now it's a bit like well it does look like a tv show i'll enjoy because i like cyberpunk was so well made even oh no you mean the watch sorry yeah yeah yeah. no um to me yeah no probably not not really my thing like i i don't like generally gravitate towards the cyberpunk tv stuff weirdly because i enjoy the books and stuff but um i will i'm sure tolerate it (laughs) (laughs) we're probably we did say this at the end of our soul music bonus animated thing episode but for listeners who didn't catch that uh, the plan is to do a bonus episode, sort of initial reaction to the watch series. Probably end of this month, maybe beginning of August. We yeah. haven't worked out the exact schedule, uh, but we are going to cover it properly, sort of episode by episode or whatever. Uh, not literally an episode per episode because there's eight of them and life is short. Um, uh, in January, because we don't want to move around the rest of the schedule for this year. Yeah. Um... And we want to keep our mostly month off. So basically, you will have you will have your reaction. Yes. So um, if we've been quiet about it, analytics so far, will have to why. wait. Yes. <laughs> You'll have your reaction. The deeper dive will wait. But yeah, I I don't know. Mainly, I'm going to be honest. I'm just a gross little fine girl who likes David Tennant and Michael Sheen. Yeah, I being nice to each other on screen. So yeah, I just I just want to see them hug. Yeah. Yeah. Be nice. And, in the sort of less calm way, watching everyone get really hyped about it Fuck is yeah. so fun. Watching everyone get hyped and watching everyone have meltdowns. Yes. The Tumblr Twitter dramas, I was only half joking when I said I want an entire episode of us reading out these posts. <laughs> we can just all read the most ridiculous tweets we can find and Tumblr posts. Yes, absolutely. I'm enjoying Tumblr now I'm on it I must say uh, I didn't I joined Tumblr so late it wasn't even funny in late December 2020 um, but I now much prefer it to Twitter and even to Reddit half the time so I think Tumblr hits the bad point of endless scrolling for me as in I can endlessly scroll on there for too long right sure 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 in a way Reddit it get I follow few enough subreddits that it gets repetitive quickly so i'll go off it and twitter is just something i only ever let my look let myself look at for like 10 15 minutes at a time because yeah it's twitter yeah okay oh god i don't know why i do it i don't know just twitter i like our podcast twitter all the interactions we have on there are lovely everyone's quite good i'm not allowed on that so i'm stuck on my twitter where i see people talk about things that aren't terry pratchett gross Yes, Politics part of the people. reasons all of our interactions are so lovely on our Twitter is that I don't let you on there to yell at people. Well, so should we just crack on? Yeah, I think it's, it's a podcast. Yeah, let's make a podcast. Okay. Hello and welcome to The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And this is part one of our discussion of interesting times. The times. They are interesting. Notes on spoilers before we get started. We're a spoiler light podcast. Uh, obviously, spoilers for the book we're on, interesting times. But we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series. And we are saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. So you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. 
across 6,000 miles in a matter of seconds, swapping places with a heavy cannon. We don't have anything to follow up on, do we? We got quite a lot of cool feedback on the soul music stuff. Some corrections, some additions, some additional facts, some things like that. There were, in fact, so many that I've not tried to shove it in a uh, round world thingy, but I might make a little Reddit thread or something of all the additional Yes, and at some point I will make a couple of playlists based on uh, people's suggestions. I just never got around to it because I'm really disorganized. Cool. All right, sweet. So this, this, this novel here is interesting times. It is the 17th Discworld novel. Mm -hmm. It was published the 2nd of November 1994, which was just six months after Soul Music. We are very much in Pratchett's prolific period. On an episode of BBC Two's Late Review, the poet Tom Paulin, and I'm quoting here from Mark Burroughs' book, The Magic of Terry Pratchett, which, by the way, won a Locus Award. Locus Award, thank you. (laughs) A Locus Award for Best Nonfiction the other day. Congratulations, Uh, Mark. uh, Gave a withering summation of 1994's Interesting Times, pronouncing Pratchett to be an absolute amateur who doesn't even write in chapters which I read out just to counteract my findings of the reviews. <laughs> Mark clearly liked a bit harder than I did because I could only find positive ones. Um, if you have a look on Colin Smythe's one, Colin Smythe's page, I think he only really does the positive ones, but I couldn't even find any outside of that. Um, most include a line kind of similar in tone to even a Martian who scanned the bestseller lists would have no doubt about the identity of Britain's leading novelist. So I think we can safely say we're like firmly in Discworld mania by this point, by 94. Um, Unrelated-ish, something I found while I was digging through alt.fan.pratchett for stuff we'll talk about later, uh, with some posts about when the paperbacks from Interesting Times were turning up in various country shops. Um, And like seeing Pratchett reply to these, because he was finding out from these posts, like about interesting times arriving in South Africa and he was replying happily to find out it was only by the end of November so things had clearly improved there and asking while he was there if any had turned up in Australia um just charmingly pre-constant global communication that you'd ask some random fans on um if if your books turned up in their country oh that brings me some joy actually I quite like that there are very few Pratchett replies that aren't incredibly grumpy, so it was quite nice seeing him very happy. <laughs> it's, but I don't think you'd have given Pratchett the key to our Twitter either, put it that way. <laughs> That's one of the things I, I like very much sympathise with his social media usage. It's really, really one of the things I do like about him. I can never be that sort of person because <laughs> combined with hating everyone, I also have a pathological need to be liked. Yeah, great combo, that. It's exhausting. I'm very tired. Um, note on the title, uh, the f- first page of the book says, There is a curse. They say, may you live in interesting times. Oh, and no, uh, into that. We, um, we've been making the joke about living in interesting times for the podcast, on the podcast yeah. for a while now, because we've been living the time's in got interesting, interesting, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we've been living in interesting times. We still very much are. So interesting and so boring at the same time. But we are both semi-vaccinated now. Semi-vaccinated, the best kind. No, fully, fully yeah, is the best no, kind. We would like to be <laughs> vaccinated soon. I looked it up because I've heard of this not just from this book. I've heard lots of people say, "Oh yeah, this is a Chinese curse." Apparently, that's apocryphal, and oh. um, there's no evidence of it being an old Chinese curse. There is a similar sentiment in a Chinese short story from the mid 1600s, in a particular line 
I think the sentiment has existed much longer than that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, the actual line, may you live in interesting times, written down, I think is attributed to somewhere in the 1800s and not Chinese. So, yeah, very much apocryphal. Uh, but everyone always talks about it as if it's an ancient Chinese curse. Now, I wonder if that apocryphal stuff came about before or post-Pratchett. But- well, it doesn't say there is a Chinese curse. It just says there is a curse. No, but it does tie it in with... The book that's sort of this book, to. yeah, and so I wonder if, or if it strengthened the myth or whatever. I think it absolutely not intentionally, might have, obviously. Oh. I think it absolutely might have done. Um, anyway, shall I tell us what happened in part yeah, one sure. of interesting part one, times? Up to page one hundred and thirteen in your UK Corgi paperback editions. Mm-hmm. I need to update the website. Thank you for the reminder. Uh, so we open on the gods sitting down to a game. Fate and the lady agree to a game of mighty empires taking place on the counterweight continent. A quantum weather butterfly flaps its wings as a man relaxes in a lagoon. Veterinary and Ridcully meet for a drink, and the patrician doesn't inform the Arch-Chancellor of a letter on an albatross requesting a great wizard. The pitter-paddle of tiny feet heralds an unexpected end for an unsuspecting shark, and Rincewind sighs in his lagoon at the luggage's choice of supper. Ridcully rounds up the university faculty as they discuss the need for a great, if misspelled, wizard, and the librarian presents Rincewind's hat. The faculty explain Rincewind to Ridcully. The great wizard in question is approached by some strong single women who may or may not offer root vegetables. Unfortunately, he's immediately transported straight back to Ankh-Morpork. On arriving home, a confused Rincewind runs through the city, and after a brief lesson for the Thieves' Guild, Ridcully threatens Rincewind into a trip to the Agatian Empire. Meanwhile, on the Counterweight continent, soon-to-be Emperor Lord Hong flies a kite, receives a message, and folds a book into chrysanthemums. Ponder Stibbons ponders Hex, his magical feat of engineering, as he calculates transporting Rincewind to the continent. The luggage arrives and assists Rincewind in packing, as in the Empire, the Red Army meets. Rincewind arrives on the Counterweight continent and a canine firework arrives at the university in his place. Soldiers surround the great wizard himself, and just as he's recognised, a familiar barbarian interrupts. Cohen saves Rincewind and frees the rest of the soldiers' prisoners. We learn that Hung Hung, the capital city of the Agatian Empire, is under a very polite siege. Hong observes the tea ceremony, plots a few moves ahead and forges a sword as a messenger informs him that the wizard has arrived. Cohen and Rincewind travel to Cohen's hideout and Rincewind is introduced to the Silver Horde, a ragtag bunch of octogenarian barbarians working with Cohen to steal something from Hung Hung. Uh, Hong obsesses over Ankh-Morpork as the other ruling families profess loyalties and claim to have oppressed the dangerous rebels and rumours of revolution. Predictably, Rincewind runs away again and is unfortunately interceptive. Strangely, a single guard speaks perfect Morporkian, but Rincewind runs once more. He finally makes it to an inn at the crosswords, crossroads that definitely doesn't serve rebels. Finally reads this book that has the revolution all riled up and realises it seems to be the writings of an old friend. Very well with the R's in the alliteration here, Joanna, sorry. Yeah, I got a bit carried away with the R's. That's good, that's good, I like it. Unfortunately, before he can do much with this information, unconsciousness beckons. As so often it does. Oh, see, I could have waited half a sentence to interrupt you, I'm very sorry. (laughs) Wouldn't be a summary without interruption. Honestly, I'm mostly proud of a ragtag bunch of oxygenarian barbarians. That was very nice, yes. I think I was still on mute at that point, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I just want everyone to really know how clever I am. All of the best jokes uh, require pointing out afterwards. That's what yeah. I always say. Uh, so, helicopter and loincloth watch. I'm going to go with travelling 6,000 miles in a second and being replaced with a canine firework as the helicopter of the episode. I think that's how they work, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how helicopters work. Always have a firework shaped like a dog. Well, it's a cannon, technically, mm-hmm. and it's holding a firework. 
<laughs> technically it's actually Frankenstein's monster. Um, <laughs> technically it's actually made with quince. <laughs> and that's where the word marmalade comes from. Huh. Um, sorry, we have got uh, a loincloth. Yes, we do. We do. We do. Because Cohen's back, even yeah. if it's not necessary on account of the facial hair. Yes, he's wearing nothing except a leather loincloth and a grubby beard so long that the loincloth wasn't really necessary. We've got two loincloths in a sentence. Beautiful. Um, for the other bits that we're sort of keeping track of, we still haven't had a book that hasn't been to or mentioned Ankh-Morpork. Pork. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't quite open on the turtle, but we do get a turtle within the opening pages. Yes. Uh Kind of, I guess it makes sense to zoom out back on the turtle for this one because it ma- the geography matters more than in a lot of the books. The geography does matter and we get more geography later on. And also I, I like opening with Face and the Lady. I'll talk about them. Um, oh, do you know what? It just sounds fucking unbearable playing board games that lot. I know that's the point, but with all the, oh, you don't play with the by the rules. I'm going to throw the dice where you can't see them. My players aren't on the board yet. It's like fucking Calvin Ball or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, get over yourself. Get the little leaflet with the rules out. That's Look, what they're for. It's hard enough playing board games where like the rules are understood. I went to a board games thing the other day and we ended up choosing to play a ridiculously huge complicated one while having the England game on in the background. Ugh. I was Ugh. every move required five moves. I had workers and an airship. Did you remember that it was all about the cones? There were cones. There, there oh, were, were there? They weren't okay. cone shaped. But it was <laughs> it was very cones of Dunshire. It was it was a good game. It gave me some ideas for the one I'm designing. That good. Every time I work on it, it gets more and more cones of Dunshire. And okay, I, I trust you to explain the rules to me. But it's all right. You won't be my first beta tester. Good. Anyway, sorry. Know, if you want to idiot proof it, that might be the correct way to go. <laughs> I'm going to run it by board game nerds first because Definitely. they'll be good yeah. at suggesting yeah. ideas. <laughs> Anyway, this is not relevant. You're not relevant. I'm sorry. That's that's unkind. You're Thank very you, relevant all the time. Thank you, Francine. Thank you. Um, anyway, yeah, no, on the not quite opening on the turtle, when we do get the turtle opening, um, we get this is the disc world, which goes through space on the back of a giant turtle. Most worlds do at some time in their perception. It's a cosmological view the human brain seems pre-programmed to take. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a couple of little lines just in that section where Pratchett's obviously acknowledging the things people have brought up like he's admitted yes. there that the turtle belief <laughs> well, is where does love go <laughs> yes uh, um why the uh, killjoy nerds <laughs> why the elephants aren't suffering from horrific fr- friction burns what sound what does a, yellow what about lesser known aesop's fables yes <laughs> the elephant's friction burns <laughs> uh and what's the other thing oh yeah we're keeping track of whether or not the librarian gets explained and he doesn't I only really bring this up, A, because I like the they're discussing the dominant males and looking for Ridcully's large cheek pads. I reckon that was something else that kept getting brought up. And B, he kept he kept Rincewind's hat. Oh, yes, he, he did. He loves his Rincewind. Well, do you recall in the sorcery, he was like, Rincewind was like digging through the library to find him. They do love each other. I know. It makes me very happy. Mm. I wish we got more. Like I just want like a little buddy novel, novella. It's just the librarian yeah. and the rin- rin- Rincewind hanging out. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that a fluff fan fiction was made for, wasn't it? It was like, all right, you're clearly never going to let your characters be happy. Let me let me just quickly, just a just chapter there. Them okay. out. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, that's Helicopter Longcloth Watch and all the things I'm keeping track of. Quotes, I believe you're before me. 
I am, yes. Uh, this is one of the ones that's kind of, I think, is one of those little hook things that like a few people, a lot of people over the years have quoted, but is also one of my favourites. Um, the expression of one who knows that the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train. Ah, <laughs> oh, I like that line. Yes. It is a, I think, possibly a metaphor that he's brought that he uses in more than one book but it's the first time I think I've pointed out yeah I think it's come up a couple of times yeah anyway Um, my favorite yours I had lots of like very good poetic bits of prose marked and then I did this one instead because I literally couldn't stop laughing and just remembering it and giggling to myself this is off the wall I know said the bursar brightly what is said the lecturer in recent runes a hook for hanging pictures on that time again is it (laughs) (laughs) is when they're all discussing the different ways to get rincewind and it seems like he's gonna get rincewind across the uh world and it seems like he's gonna make a suggestion and then all at once again sculling in the pools at the other side of insanity in the valley of the dried frog pills fun little valley of the dolls reference once again the wizard's dialogue doing the lord's work it's quite sweet as well that Red Cully's kind of looking out for the verse. I was like, time to take your pills, old chap. Yeah, I think we're really, I keep sort of saying, we're getting more into, we're getting more into, but we've very much settled into the dynamic of the wizards and it brings me a lot yeah, of joy. Definitely. You get to, um, well, we'll get to characters. Uh, now, in fact. Yes, characters. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> yes, we'll get there, listeners. Ship that. <laughs> It's a bit like Rincewind going to the continent. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get there in a shit. I'm here. We must have gotten a helicopter. <sighs> Landing with a great deal of ceremony in characters, Joanna. <clears throat> with fate, fate. The lady and the gods. Irritating as always. Yeah. Dickheads, but sort of a fan. I like in the gods playing board games moment, we get the, uh, I accuse the high priest of the green robe in the library with the double-handed yeah. axe. <laughs> Never not giggle at a Cluedo hint reference yeah um anything to say about them really they are as they have been they are as they have been they're here i like their unchangingness and i like the uh i'm going to talk more about callbacks to the early rincewind and two flower adventures but i like the callback here of when it's rincewind and two flower we get this same framing device that we had in color of magic lady just won't leave them alone uh Cool. Then we have the quantum weather butterfly. Yeah, it's not really a character, but it's it's uh, flapping about um, with its infinite, nice idea. It's infinite wings. Yes. Here we look at the idea of the more ragged something is, the greater its uh, length. In not length, is it? Uh, is it length? Uh, the no. length of the edges. Yeah, the measurement. Of. So it's like it, it's the whole thing about if you measure uh, Norway by the fjords, it becomes like the biggest coastline in the world by quite a long time quite a long way but if yeah. you measure it in a sensible way obviously it's not um, <laughs> took me ages to do those fiddly bits around the floors <laughs> but I just like that we've taken the idea of a butterfly flaps its wings and there's a storm yeah. on the other side of the world and gone well yes it's a evolved like that so it can cause a tiny tornado when a bird tries to eat it yes and accidentally hurricanes <laughs> I may be an indistinguished yellow colour but in a fortnight's time a thousand miles away freak gales cause road chaos if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, a butterfly can't wink. How would it do it? 
and uh, wiggle little, one of its little wiggle, yeah, wiggle one of its ah, antenna. Good, yes. Well, then, butterflies have antenna. Yes, excellent. I say oh. confidently. Yes, no, I think they do. Yeah. Um, can we go to Vetinari, who has a bit more of a speaking role? Yes, we have Vetinari, Red Cully, and the Pointless. We've got an albatross. Absolutely, yes. It's the first time in quite a long time we've had an albatross. Yes. For those listeners who didn't listen to the very first few episodes of the podcast. Understandable, forgivable, still, you should. This is why albatrosses became a running thing, because of the colour of magic, and apparently them being a very popular method of communication between the Counterweight Continent and Ankh-Morpork. Yeah, the only ones that can go that far, I suppose. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, a, it's specifically a pointless albatross, and I feel quite bad for it. Yeah, well, it doesn't know, does it? Probably, I hope. No, probably not. It's mostly focused on fish. Yeah. <laughs> Get your albatross. Sorry, it had to be done once. Um, Did you hear I, about um, Amazon Prime tried to sue some little uh, fishmongers for using the phrase Prime Day Fish? Like, Prime Day Fish is, like, the phrase you use for the prime catch of the day. Yeah. And after being pointed out, like pr- Amazon did, withdraw that but goodness me <laughs> anyway sorry fish albatross uh veterinary 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 i like the interplay between veterinary and rick cully yes we're getting again with the relationship sort of settling into their grooves and their very polite method of respecting each other the cold small talk i rather enjoyed the um yes the weather i see has turned out nice again i thought yesterday it was particularly fine Certainly. I also like just one sentence to sum up Lord Vetinari sitting in the palace gardens, watching the butterflies with an expression of mild annoyance. Something very slightly offensive about the way they just fluttered around enjoying themselves in an unprofitable manner. Definitely the same vibes as like music is ruined when you play it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I enjoy I enjoy the conversation between them. I like that uh they have this very cold respect for each other because yeah. Vetinari... Avoid could... slime on the floor and uh, diplomatic embarrassment. Exactly. But that Vetinari still very closely loses his patience when he's trying to explain that the albatross isn't really there. It's very hard to explain things to Red Cully. I quite enjoyed Ponder trying to explain uh, the directional spinny things, just watching somebody being very bad at explaining, explaining it someone being very bad at understanding is always <laughs> Rid Cully, again, we've said this every time he turns up in a book, but the best bit of Rid Cully is his method of understanding things, which is to not. Yes, absolutely. Not unless it's important. In fact, that's taken me to exactly one of those moments on Ponder Stibbons. Uh, so Ponder Stibbons, who mm. now we're at this point, has really become one of my favourite characters. He is a wonderful foil. He's a, he's Him and Rid Cully are such a fun little play, much more than the Dean, who was sort of slightly becoming the butt of the joke. Yeah, um, but again, in a funny... Having them all there, I think, is good. Oh, having them all there yeah. is good. It's just the ridiculously ponder relationship is one of yeah. the favourites now. Yeah, definitely. And uh, was it... Yes, I'll start there. He knew that Ridcully would feel it necessary to add a comment at this point in order to demonstrate that he'd grasp something. My mother could move like lightning when... Oh. <laughs> We're just going to keep going. And obviously with Ponder Stibbons comes Hex... Yes, Hex, the magnificently complicated, convoluted, inexplicable kind of computer. Yeah, Hex is really fun because, uh, so we saw the beginnings of Hex, but I think this is the first time Hex is named as such. 
Yeah. Uh, but we saw the beginnings of it in the last book. Yeah. Uh, and Ponder beginning to build it. But there's lots of fun references to early computing and Pratchett was a massive computer nerd. So hex is yeah. obviously you have hexadecimal code, which is uh, lots of things based on. Yeah. I don't understand it. I don't want to. I like the idea of an eternal domain error instead of internal domain error. Uh, out of cheese error, which is one that comes up now quite a lot in the fandom as a shorthand for confusion. Yeah. Redo from start is my, well, is my preferred one. I like out of cheese error. So it hits too close to home for me. I don't like running out of cheese. I, I, I don't run out of cheese. I simply don't, Francine. <laughs> I simply do not run out of cheese and it's not a problem, actually. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, the, the magical side of Hex, I'll talk about more later, but I do like this, uh, the bits it accumulates, especially the aquarium, which has got this very screensaver vibe. The thing about, uh, but if you take the mouse out for some reason, it stops working, reminded me of what you were telling me about game code the other day. Oh, yeah. The weird things that end up getting put into game code. And you don't know why, but once it ends up there, if you take it out, it breaks. Like uh, one of my favorite ones is somewhere in Dragon Age Inquisition, there's a hidden top hat and they put it, it ended up there as a joke and it's in a thing you never see. But if they take the top hat out, it stops working. And there's another one from Dragon Age 2 where something about how a conversation had to be framed between two characters meant that outside of the frame they're in their underwear and one of them's on a box and the game makers don't really know why but it was the only way to make that angle work excellent and what was the one you told me about fallout oh um in fallout i think it's fallout sir not fallout three yes fallout three with the uh trains the trains a hat in washington dc yes yes that's right the the train is in fact a hat being worn by an npc running very quickly from place to place because that was the easiest way to do it it's like we already have the resources to put in an npc and a very large hat shaped like a train and make them run very fast and that's a lot easier than bulking this up with more bollocks yeah i'm so glad i'm trying to go into this industry everything yeah no i look forward to hearing about it i just put a top hat in everything it seems to work ask the duck why <laughs> right so uh have we got lord hong yes um he is uh one of pratchett's kind of favorite t- bureaucratic villain things but a lot more refined yes very refined very good at everything because you're somewhat decided to be i should say lord hong is is the head of one of the five ruling families the hongs yep. tangs two others in the mcsweeney's the name Hong, by the way, I assume, I think, comes from um, after Imperial China ended. Yeah. So um, early 1900s. Um, President, oh God, I wish I'd looked this up. Uh, <laughs> Yuan Shikei, Yuan Shikei, something like that, um, was a very short-lived president uh he was trying to reinstate monarchy in china with himself as the hongxian emperor um and so i assume that's where hong's from because he is in the correct point to be ending the dynastic yeah thing becoming emperor and all that so hong is currently the grand vizier and trying to move and maneuver himself into the position of yeah. the next emperor yeah whereas this dude was a, a statesman in general so similarly positioned yeah yeah and was 
possibly behind the killing of the emperor and we've blah, talked blah. yeah we have talked about blah, blah. i just mean it's a lot <laughs> way way back in the land of the color of magic i talked a bit about the grand vizier trope being inherently problematic so i won't go on the full rent again i mean admittedly here it's a grand vizier in fact i talked about it in sorcery as well rincewind attracts grand viziers to him apparently he does he does that's his Again, it's Natural enemy. partly to do with where this part of the book is set, and we'll talk about the setting. We'll talk about it. That sounds threatening, doesn't it? We'll get there. We'll talk about it later. Oh, God, that's an awful anxiety-inducing sentence. You're not in trouble, listeners. It's fine. Everything's <laughs> fine. We'll just talk about it later in a nice way. Yes, everything is going to be all right, I promise. Right, God, what was I on about? Two Fire Herb. I sorry. Yes. Two Fire Herb is the, uh, it's revealed, he's the sort of counter-revolutionary mm-hmm in that he is, uh, I can't remember the word I want. Lord Hong has got Two Fire Herb as something of a spy among the revolutionaries. Double agent? Yes, thank you. That's what I meant. Double agent, but not too bright. Yes. Uh, so he's kind of, at this point, the useful Maporkian speaking. Yes. Introducing Rincewin into the world of the Red Army. Yes. Um We'll meet the Red Army properly in the next section. Mm. Uh, and then we have a visit from our old favourite. Cohen the Barbarian is back. Good old Cohen. Good Still old doing well. Cohen. What happened to Beth? Do we find out later in this book? I feel like we do. No, I don't think we do. I think just, you know, yeah. they drifted apart. Yeah. I'm sure they have, still have respect for each other as much as they ever did. <laughs> we don't really hear from Conina again either. No, well, hopefully she's gone off to live her best life. Hairdressing with Nigel. Oh, all right let's not go back there right um <laughs> oh god let's not go back to sorcery uh, and the rest of the rest of them and the rest of the silver horde my favorite of which is teach ronald savaloy yes partly because i like the idea of the uh very polite geography teacher wandering around with this crowd of barbarians trying to civilize them i like him very much um the Silver Horde, by the way, is a reference to the Golden Horde, which was one of the states that came after the Mongol Empire. Excellent. Uh, it was ruled by some of Genghis Khan's descendants. On their tiny horses. Yes. So, yes, we're compressing quite a lot of centuries into these references. <laughs> we have put quite a lot into the... Bl- well, we haven't. Quite yes. a lot has <laughs> gone into the blender here. Um, and then, yeah, so the rest of the Horde seem... Right now, not very fleshed out, obviously. We will meet meet them again. Spoil, spoil, spoilers, not spoilers. Um. Yeah, we've got old Vincent, who... This is the one criticism I've got of the hordeness is, uh, you know, the Cohen's joke of, oh, I keep telling him it's rape the women and set fire yeah. to the houses. And obviously yeah. none of these are actually rapists because they're all probably not really capable, but also, like, we could have just left the rape jokes out yeah, of the book. Yeah, no, I've got... The, my note is rape joke. Still not funny. Yeah. <laughs> I get even when it's practice, who knew? <laughs> I get the trope they're going yeah. for, but also yeah. you could have just not done the thing. Yeah. The whole let an old man dream thing. Like, yeah. Especially anyway. with Cohen, because we've seen Cohen actually be very good and respectful to women in the past. Yeah. Yes, I get yes, I get the I get I get the joke. It's just not good. Yeah, it's um, just not funny. <laughs> and then we don't actually see him but two flower. Oh, but his introduction. It's beautiful, beautifully worded, right? Um, hold on, where is it? One turn. It was a picture focused itself in Rincewind's memory. Is that the bit you mean? 
Yeah, it was of a happy, smiling little man with huge spectacles and a trusting, innocent approach to life, which brought terror and destruction everywhere he wandered. Two Flower had been quite unable to believe that the world was a bad place, and that was largely because, to him, it wasn't. It saved it all up for Rincewind. <laughs> it's a beautiful little introduction way before we, well, not way before, but before we actually get to meet him again. And that we learn he is the author of this book, What We Do On My Holidays, which has started a revolution of sorts because yeah which by the way I'm gonna look into more of the kind of one books that changed everything things I'm sure it's happened a few times during history but I didn't have time for this episode so we'll do it next episode yeah um but some of the things I kind of enjoy about that I'm just gonna squeeze this in here but this book existing a is that the enough people in the oppressed class know how to read and write to be able to read this book Mm -hmm. because this is a culture based on these competitive written examinations Mm-hmm. And I think that is has some basis in obviously actual history, and we're going to talk about the yeah, history got later. Some, got some bits on that, but it is also good writing. Yes, uh, because otherwise that would be a really obvious logical hole. Yes, <laughs> uh, but also you know this book is this idea of the grass is greener. Um, mm. That's where the revolution is happening. It's oh, there's a place where I don't have to be quite as oppressed, but it's also this grass is greener thing for Lord Hong and his obsession with like more pork. He mm. wants to go there, having read this book as well. I mean, grass is greener, is the point, I think, for the peasants. But Well, yeah. Yeah, for it's Lord not, Hong, maybe not, yeah. <laughs> it's not for Lord Hong, but he still yeah. kind of creates yeah. this idealised yeah. version of Ankh-Mor Pork in his head. Yeah, for sure. Where he can't wait to eat one. Flower's a very compelling writer, what can we say? But I, uh, I like that... Urinating it's... dog, urinated dog, complicated pictogram. Uh, is com- that problematic? Oh, man. Yeah, I feel like we can probably put a blanket problematic sticker over quite a lot in this book. Okay, I did find complicated pictogram quite funny. As a, sta- as a stand-in for the kind of random punctuation symbols you get to stand in for a swear word here. Oh, yeah. No, that I found quite funny. Uh, what was the other one? In reference to Dibbler, compl- complicated pictogram involving razor. Yes. <laughs> because it took me a second. Yeah. Anyway, so that's characters. On to locations and... The only reason I bring this up, again, the Palace Gardens, as we've mm-hmm. already discussed, designed by blooded, bloody stupid Johnson. Yeah. But I really like that now Pratchett's established that they were designed by bloody stupid Johnson. He can come up with a couple of really stupid things about them every time the, one of the books goes there. In this case, it's uh, the chiming sundial frequently exploded, the crazy paving had committed suicide, and the cast iron garden furniture was known to have melted on three occasions. Which does suggest somebody recasted. And uh, the giant beehive. Yes. I also like the description of Bloody Stupid Johnson as renowned or at least notorious. <laughs> I want to be renowned or at least notorious. Another one for a business card. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I like the idea of the 10 foot bees he somehow had in mind. You never know. You never, you never know. know. If, if there was ever a world for 10 foot bees, it would be the disc world. Indeed. And hopefully not our world. Yes. And another not really location, but funny. Room 3B in the university, where all the lectures apparently take place and everywhere. If you're napping, you're in room 3B. Yes. Um, I like it as well because it's a good writing thing because Pratchett occasionally will sort of write himself into corners that he you can see he doesn't want to be into so like the university is a really good example where it starts off as a teaching university like if you look back at equal rights and even sorcery Mm. there are students it is full of students being taught and going to lectures simon is teaching lectures and being taught there is a very important thing for esk as well yeah 
and obviously Pratchett's gone to this point and realised he's got this really good faculty to write about and the students are quite funny for things like the high energy magic building and hanging out with Ponder, mm-hmm. but he doesn't want to write the school structure. It's obviously this is pre-Harry Potter, but he doesn't want to Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he kind of writes himself out of the corner with room 3B. Yes. Just Nobody says, really does lessons. There are books. There are books around. Help I mean, to the books, but don't because the librarian. Even as late as moving pictures, it's still a very structured university because we see Victor with Ponder going through their final exams. Yeah, I've seen the exams and that still exists because there are still references to them here mm. uh, with Rentswin doing particularly poorly. Uh, well, he's, yeah, I assume yeah, it's but was... basically a self-taught university at this point. Yeah. You have to do your exams, but you know. Well, also Rentswin was own. doing exams and things way, way back in the day. Like, oh, that's true. Pre- obviously, pre Rick Cully, yeah, because Rick yeah. Cully only came after Sorcery. Yeah, because sort of along the same line, you've got um, Rick Cully's study and Rincewind remembering the old arts chancellors of uh, of your green your, gloop I mean, and stuffed alligators and yeah, I mostly mean of the like fantastic by of your. It feels like a yeah. very long time ago. It was a long time ago. We've got to remember we lost a year there. God, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we'll get it. Back. <sighs> well, and then, oh, good. <laughs> Oh, I've had a word. Excellent. Our big location of the book, and obviously not newly introduced because we met Two Flower before, but the Counterweight Continent is the first, first time, time we've been there. Been there, yeah. yeah. Um, I like that the geography of where it sits is established. Um, mm-hmm. We know it's sort of the other side of the disc, but it, we now we've got this idea of it breaking round into these little islands. And, yeah, that little uh, comma-shaped continent, and then yeah. ending up in Bang Bang Duck and coming round to the very mythic continent, only known as XXXX. Yeah, I'm guessing at this point was the first time you could actually draw a map of the disc world with any. Yes. Uh, like, what do I mean? Is it still a map if it's a world map? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. an atlas kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Because I have got the disc world atlas with the big map, and I still need to find somewhere in my flat to put the map up. So I can go back to putting post-its all over it when we do a book. Yeah, I still I still want my corkboard and string. I really want the corkboard and string, but I don't want to do that to my map. No, no, I wouldn't do it on the map. I just want I just want to put random pictures and make stupid connections to things at 2 a.m. I should have put you that for your birthday. That would have been easier. (laughs) (laughs) Still might if I don't finish your present in time. Uh, So yes, we've got the geography. We have the it's established that it's a tyrannical government. A tautology. <laughs> that is exactly Dean is a libertarian. <laughs> exactly the kind of joke a dickhead would make on Twitter, and that is from a chandelier. <laughs> from a chandelier. Fucking dickheads in chandeliers all over the shop. We've got the it's a lang- the language of uh, the Egyptian Empire is one where it's very easy to say something wrong based on intonation, which is very true of uh, both the Chinese and Japanese languages. I'm fascinated by and frustrated by the fact I will never understand the idea of puns in uh, kind of intonation uh, based, not intonation based languages, you know what I mean? More, more yeah. of ones where cadence matters more. Where um, sentences really yeah. do make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and the language itself, uh, I really like sort of Hong with his grasses greener ideals of going like, it's a written language of 7,000 letters. It takes all day to write a 13 syllable poem, and that's fine and beautiful, and no one else is better than him. But in Ain't Moorport, they had 26 unexpressive, ugly, crude letters and produced poems and plays that left white hot trails across the soul. Absolutely. It is one of the things I must say about this is going to sound like a 
piece of nationalist bullshit but it's not um one of the things about the english language that's very good is although it's an ugly mismatch and it is and because of that it's ended up with a lot of synonyms which makes it particularly good for a certain type of prose and poetry yeah um whereas again other languages better for other prose poetries whatever but um yeah, just the fact we've got so many ways to say things makes it a a complete nonsense, but be pretty good for those of us who profit from nonsense. I do feel uh, very sorry for people who've learned English as a second language because it is, and yet they all do so well. Yeah, <laughs> it's so unstructured. Yeah, um, Chinese as a language, especially as a written language, is really fascinating. Uh, Ma- I don't know if you remember the writer Adeline Yanmar. Her book Chinese Cinderella was really popular. Yes, was, yeah, that was one of my favourite books as a child. Did you ever read any of her other books? I didn't because I feel like they're going to be very upsetting. <laughs> they are. I'm not going to lie. So Chinese Cinderella was a shortened... I was already so traumatised by that one. <laughs> uh, it was a shortened and more child or at least young adult friendly version of her autobiography. Her full autobiography, Falling Leaves, is got a happier outcome. Okay. Um, and is really interesting. But it is also has also got a lot of its own upsetting moments. Uh, but she also has a really lovely book called Watching the Tree, which is um, about interpreting uh, East Asian philosophy from a Western perspective. OK, maybe I'll start out with that one. Yeah. Um, and there's a really, really interesting section on language where she sort of reminisces about studying calligraphy with her grandfather and looking at why the letters and the characters are structured the way they are. And you see these smaller ca- uh, characters incorporated into the larger ones. Huh. Uh, Beautiful. So- Things like one that means to buy slash sell being kind of a rectangle with these bisecting lines because it represents these old, uh, these strings of shells that we use. Uh, but then seeing that small symbol, how many other characters it's incorporated into. That sounds exactly the kind of thing I would like to read. So, yeah, that's going on my definitely to read list. Yes, and will. will be our recommendation of the week, listeners, even though yes. I have not read it. <laughs> I'll uh, link to that in the show notes. We've also got a reference to The Arts of War originally. Yeah. Sun Tzu. Um, there's a line, and I can't remember the line now, where uh, the Agatian Empire is referred to as the Orient, spelt with an AU. Haha, mm-hmm. uh, gold. Yes. Haha, gold. The actual word oriental is problematic in many reasons, and it depends exactly how it's problematic. It depends on exactly where you are. Yeah, it's one of those ones where I know there are associations based in Asia with oriental in the name. Yep. I also know it's been used as a slur a lot in America, and I just avoid it because I, I do not know enough. <laughs> the word orient, as in using a map, comes from ex- exactly the same root. Yeah, it, I mean... Um, yes, literally is, it means east yeah speaking of problematic things obviously the way that food in the counterweight continent is discussed has definitely got its own problematic thing rinse wins familiar with hung hungies takeaways from the few refugees have made it to ain't more pork and the food is described as dish of glistening brown stuff dish of glistening crunchy orange stuff and dish of soft white lumps yeah see i'm gonna i, I hate this kind of thing because it makes me sound like i'm trying to be like an apologist for the shit stuff but you can see the joke. No, I can... it's it's not like an anti-Eastern joke. It's a anti. This is what we end up eating instead because of our shit taste buds joke. Oh yeah, no, I wasn't pointing out. Was in that is a racist joke. It's more yeah. of a this is a common problem where people don't want to try the actual food of a culture. So you have these Westernized versions of um, it, and then the arguments about authenticity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And especially, especially with Chinese food in England and America, you then have the horrific discussion of MSG, which is not literally thing. just yeah. racism. On, guys. Yeah. It, it's just racism that MSG is no more bad for you than any other kind of salt. Uh, but because it was used in Chinese cooking, it was declared as bad. Not it, quite that. Um, there is some very specific roots to how that became misinformation, uh, which I, again, can link to, but was definitely perpetuated through that. Yeah. Sorry, that was a massive oversimplification. Yeah. Um, it, it came from a, a a false, almost joke letter originally. Um, and I can't remember enough of the details to keep on about it without being inaccurate. But I, I, again, I will link to you. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God, we're going to have a lot of barely related links, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> we'll try and organise them somehow into related. And we went on a tangent. Yeah. Which is so unlike us. Oh, yeah, what? <laughs> Never tangents on this podcast. Uh, yeah, but that was the area, so I wanted to point that up. I don't really have anything else to say about the Council Continent now. We'll talk about the history. Yeah. History? History. We'll talk about the history. Um, I quite like that it's uh, just a new kind of geography for the Discworld in that you've got the steps and the, all of that bit is quite obviously quite fun to play with for him. And it is see- nice seeing the world more fleshed out outside of the Eurocentric bit of continent we've been on. Oh, bits we liked. Uh, I think like is a strong word, but my purple post-it moment of the week is the uh, women that approach Rincewind on his island. Mm, mm, yes, I thought I thought maybe we'd... I've got, I've got my shorthand for things like that is PP on the side now, so that, that is definitely under PP. That and the turns out rape jokes aren't funny note. And yes. Yeah. Uh, which is when... Rin, I, the, the reason I put it under liked is I do as much as we are very, very aware of Pratchett's type being tall, tan and blonde. Um, but I do like that it's at least acknowledged here. You may be wondering why we are all blonde and white skinned when everyone else are in, on the islands around here is dark. It just seems to be one of those genetic things. Yeah, take the piss out of B-movies, basically. Yeah, but I do like it. It's We've come a long way as we look back on where we started with like Fantastic and Colour of Magic to hear that at least we've gone from it's not parody if you're just doing the thing to at yeah. least acknowledging what the thing is. Yes, yeah, that's better yeah i still had a slight expression on my face reading that bit but it is also funnier because rinse wins into the idea of potatoes not the women yeah he's gotten slightly confused at that point and also i really respect (laughs) just really wanting potatoes because that is me all of the time i like the the, just the he ended up as well with this lingering confusion about sex and potatoes yeah, it sort of seems to have somehow scarred him. <laughs> inextricably linked. Um, what else did I have? Oh, I really like the Thieves Guild lessons moment when Rincewind is oh, going yeah. to rank more pork. Just Mr. Boggus is trying to teach his young charges how to properly rob someone. And I like how polite he is during it. Yes, uh, while also hitting him repeatedly, repeatedly. Pin- punching him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you did was sorry to impose again sir this won't take a minute what you did was this yes <laughs> speaking of uh rinse wind being put upon actually one of the little bits i did like was uh him being explained to what exactly he's going to do for his good service to magic so that he doesn't get nailed upside down to whatever which was uh we'll find the answer to some very ancient and important question what the hell is that thing with all the legs? <laughs> ah, he said, I think I know that one. 
just one of your lovely little comic timing moments. With yes. It. I also liked how Rid Cully got on with the luggage, actually. I think uh, there's a healthy mutual respect there. Yeah. I should probably not talk about Rid Cully as much as I do in every episode, but God, I love them. I love Rid Cully so much. Like, talking Eat about sharks, you say. <laughs> Again, this is a healthy respect of sort of, you know, Rid Cully likes hunting and he can see that like it's just a fellow hunter, but I think you can also see at the back of the, his mind going, yeah. could I mount that? <laughs> yeah and the um the luggage and responsible thinking could i eat that <laughs> mount we should say here means riding not mounting <laughs> no no i meant mounted it up on the wall like a hunter's trophy like yes, if yes, killed yes. It. yes oh right yeah no see there are three ways you can take that sentence and the first way i took it i decided was not the way you meant it well i feel like the second way you suggest it meant is sort of linked to the first way in some way yes isn't language difficult as we've said <laughs> But enough about shagging. Let's talk about the uncertainty principle. Oh, gosh, yes. Let's not get those two mixed up, for goodness sake. <laughs> what is the uncertainty principle, Joanna? Uh, the, our favourite part of the podcast, Joanna tries to understand physics. Please don't help her. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was more for the listeners. Yes. The uncertainty principle was uh, named such by Werner Heisenberg, or Werner Heisenberg, in 1927, Okay. And states that the velocity and position of an object cannot be meaningfully measured at the same time. Okay. And this is mostly on the subatomic level. To quantum, we're back in quantum. We're back in quantum. Uh, most of what I understand about subatomics is from the Ant Man films, so this goes really well in my understandings of physics. I've never even watched them. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll link to a decent explanation of it in the show notes. I remember enjoying subatomic stuff quite a lot actually in school, but obviously I never really got past the GCSE level. So well, yeah. Uh, the principle is, and again, this is more of a subatomic level, but to measure something's position, mm-hmm. you can't really do it meaningfully and measure the velocity at the same time, because in measuring the position, you affect the velocity and vice yes. versa. Yes. That is the basics of the uncertainty yes. principle. Yes. You can't tell how fast it's going and where it is at the same time. Yes. Quantum. Image. Obviously, within the disc world, it's named after the wizard Sangrit Heisenberg and not uh, after the more famous Heisenberg, who is renowned for inventing what is possibly the finest lager in the world. Yes. For international and younger listeners, that is a reference to Carlsberg in the UK. Possibly who, the best lager in the world. According to their I advertising. Yeah. It's in, fine. It's fine. It's what <laughs> we used to drink it of an afternoon. Beer lovers, please don't get back to me on that. I don't care. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who likes like good beer as well, I'm still not against occasionally just drinking a pint of very exactly. shit lager. For the same reason, I will quite often slave over a pasta sauce to make it absolutely perfect. But for lunch today, I did have a pasta and sauce out of a packet. Yes, it was fine. It is that sort of fine. <laughs> yeah, it is the craft mac and cheese to a delicious homemade bechamel baked perfectly with bacon bits and uh, truffle infused breadcrumbs. Sorry, I've been thinking about... How do you infuse a breadcrumb? Carefully. Okay. (laughs) How do you defuse a breadcrumb? Very carefully. (laughs) How do you diffuse a breadcrumb? Meticulously. (laughs) (laughs) On that note... Ah, you're on fire. (laughs) Shit again. (laughs) Oh, we're a delight. Oh, we are. 
be more of a delight. Tell me about Callback's previous rinse win books in our talking points section. I just I'm not even fun. trying for segues, Jay. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. We're in talking points now. Uh, I just I keep bringing this up through this mid stage discworld of um, how the books inherit from their predecessors and in some t- cases of reworkings. I think this is one of the best examples where he is aware he has this huge history. He's aware the Discworld has changed a lot since we last saw Rincewind, yeah. especially Rincewind and Two Flower. It really ignores the events of Eric quite a lot, and I'm okay with that because I didn't enjoy Eric. I don't remember the events of Eric either, so I don't blame Terry Pratchett for forgetting them. Forever. <laughs> I know it's the, it's the Faust one. Yeah, yeah, but I can't. I assume Rincewind ended up in the middle of the sea. Yeah. I, oh, the, the world... The beginning of the world and the end of the world and I think that comes later. The end of the world, certainly. Yeah, but he was there for it. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. saw everything. Yeah. Um yeah. anyway. But it's only was... been on the island for six months or something, and clearly there's some time space shit going on here because all of the between sorcery and everything. Oh wait, no, because he was back working in the library for a bit afterwards, wasn't he? Okay, yeah, no, it does not matter. Yeah. <laughs> The point is, you're trying to make, is that we can avoid all of this bullshit I'm trying to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I don't entirely remember how It's a demonstration of that bullshit to help you make your point. <laughs> uh, so I like that it is aware of its own history and very gently explains it so that it's funny for new readers as well who may not have read The Colour of Magic and Light Fantastic. So a lot of people haven't by the time they get to interesting times because people yep. often recommend skipping them when you read the Discord for the first time. Well, perhaps it said in this kind of time period as well, the kind of early 90s, a lot of Discworld readers just started with whatever turned up in the shops and that seemed to work. Yeah. So clearly he's playing to that. And I think it's really well written how it acknowledges its history. Like we talked about opening with Fate and the Lady. You don't need to have read The Light Fantastic to get that callback. But if you have not The the Colour of Magic even, but if you have read it, it's a nice callback. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he kind of re-explains it enough. That Yeah, you don't really need to know it's just, it's the gods. Uh, Rid Cully's interactions with Rincewind are great. It remembers that Rid Cully was not around during the events yep. of Sorcery. And so he gets it explained to him in a way where it's a handy bit of exposition for the reader, yeah. but it doesn't bother explaining the whole book because no one really needs to remember the whole plot of Sorcery. Yeah. While at the same time, kind of also telling us that some of the faculty were around and a little bit embarrassed about that fact. Because they all acted a little bit silly. Well, you know, Sorcery goes to your head. It does. And then we also, I kind of mentioned this already, but seeing this change in what the university has become, you know, room 3B and accounting for not really yeah. bothering with the students anymore. Yeah. Or the schools. And not murdering each other. And not murdering each other. And I think that's done very well with Rincewind remembering what Ridcully's study used to look like before mm. Ridcully was the Arch-Chancellor. Yeah, definitely. And it's what I talked about. When Ridcully was first introduced, part of the reason you bring in this character is to stop always having this wizard subplot of fighting over who becomes the Arch-Chancellor. Yeah. You put Ridcully yeah, in. Yeah, that's funny that's in one book. Yeah. yeah. But you put Ridcully in and that's done with. Yeah. Somehow the much more boring regime of Ridcully is much funnier over an extended period. Yes. Because Ridcully is one of the very best Discworld characters. Oh, yes. Well done, that panel. I mean, I can't wait for that book. <laughs> Um, but I also like that you acknowledge the changes in the world through Cohen's eyes. You know, the world mm. Pratchett has written has shifted so much because it started as a filmy 70s parody, it was 70s fantasy parody. Yeah. And obviously now the world he's writing in is very different, especially the world of the Ramtops and the world. Yeah, progress is progressing quite yes. quickly. 
And it acknowledges the progress with Cohen saying, well, there's no future in barbarianing anymore because Cohen as a character doesn't fit anymore because it's no longer yeah. 70s fantasy parody. Yeah. Uh, and he acknowledged it, you know, back in the Ramtops, there's fences everywhere. And if you kill a dragon, people complain. <laughs> Someone said my teeth were offensive to trolls because he's also brought the troll characters in to be much more three-dimensional than the kind of Lord of the Rings parody, the Hobbit yeah. parody we had. He's done a good job of kind of very briefly making him into the un-PC old man with a, if I see a troll with a necklace of human skulls, I just tell him good luck. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It works. It really does. And it yeah. makes, it keeps Cohen likeable. Yeah. While acknowledging yeah. that he doesn't really fit the way he did when he was in the like yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And the last sort of callback to uh, those first two books that I really enjoy is... Um, Rincewind recalls introducing a lot of Agatha and Empire devices to Ank Morpork. And these are all things that Two Flower has. And it's a way of bringing round world things into this fantasy world in the colour of magic. But now they are just part of the background. Uh, Things like clocks worked by demons and boxes that painted pictures and glasses, even if they're mostly there to make a pun. Hmm. The... It kind of, it kind of works in the parallel as well with the whole like inventions bit uh, because all of the inventions were magic based. Yeah, and here you can see Lord Hong like not enjoying magic anymore. So it kind of yes, magic's uncivilized. Yeah, that's another way of showing how much it's changed here as well, even yeah. though we haven't been here before. Yeah. Um, the innovation is now in a very different direction. Yeah. Speaking of magic, what else? Magic versus engineering. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. That was a good segue. Oh, God, I'm doing the thing again where I talk about the thing and now it's not good anymore. <laughs> I feel like that's 90% of our podcast. I mean, oh, the, books no. <laughs> are, the books are still good. Are we just making everything worse? <laughs> I mean, we did start this podcast and then the world went to shit. So uh, we did. That did happen. Anyway, um, tell me about magic versus engineering. Uh, the line from the Dean is that's not magic it's engineering yeah Um, in reference to using hex in place of a spell yeah yeah just good old honest spell and see if he gets smeared against the side of a mountain um where am I but the line I really like magic isn't like maths uh it follows common sense rather than logic um yeah and nor is it like cookery no casserole requires moonbeams. No souffle ever demanded to be mixed by a virgin. Side note that cookery is entirely not... Sometimes a little bit like that. <laughs> cookery is often like that. You have to fucking sense the exact amount of humidity in the air if you want to even look sideways at a meringue. Don't start me on macarons. Anything with egg whites. I will not start your macarons, don't worry. Yes, I've never yet successfully created a meringue, I must admit. Um, I make quite tasty ones, but they're never as... Aesthetically upright as they ought to be, yeah. Uh, there's various methods. I won't go into meringue making. Yeah, it's cool. We'll, we'll talk this over another time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, egg whites, man, they're bastards. But what I love about cooking is you go from learning the basics and then especially with baking, it's it becomes very much, oh, yeah, it's a science and you've got to really pr- be really precise and exact. You absolutely end up coming out the other side of that and just throwing things together. My method- We've talked before, haven't we, about most disciplines. You, end up, you have to learn the rules and uh, then break them you can't just go in straight yeah not knowing the rules of yeah let's use baking because i can't think of the examples we've used before yet you can't just guess at a cake no you have to know what you should do 
and then know that doing something else actually might be better. Yeah. yeah. Or in my case, just I went, when I was learning to make sourdough, I followed things to the letter and was very careful about the water and the flour down to the millimeter. And actually, I'll tell you, what, did I ever tell you about the time I really did try and guess a cake? Um, <clears throat> when me and Becky were young teenagers, possibly before, so like 11 or 12, maybe. I'm yeah. Say 12. Uh, we wanted cake. We had no cake. We had an idea of what went into a cake. And I think we ended up putting eggs, flour, not self-raising flour, uh, like some water maybe, maybe some oil in a bowl, mixing it all up and trying to microwave it. Did you put sugar in it? Yes, sugar. Sugar was in there. Anyway, it was gross. Yeah, I'm not Obviously. <laughs> the other problem with learning how to make things like cake and bread and a lot of the other and quicker things as well is once you know how to do them especially if you're the sort of person who keeps their cupboards well stocked you can kind of always have them and that's Mm. not always a good thing oh yeah for me the the effort level does outweigh the the I'm very into immediate gratification basically so if I want a cake and I can't immediately have a cake I'm like oh well I guess I won't have a cake and that does include the barrier of actually cooking one usually usually so whereas I will spend an afternoon cooking something I really want but it will occur to me at say four o'clock of an afternoon that I really fancy a Yorkshire pudding and then by the end of that day I will have eaten a very large Yorkshire pudding yeah yeah I think that the additional bit on your end as well is you know it will turn out well or I know how to make a bread or a cake yeah but like it'll be fine. It won't be much better than what I could buy at the shop, whereas you will come out with like fucking gourmet Yorkshire pudding with truffle diffused breadcrumbs. <laughs> I want to clarify that I never cook with truffle because it's fucking disgusting. It is. And I'm not sure if I did think that before I had that truffle liqueur 10 years ago or whatever it was in the nutshell. Do you remember that night? Oh God, that was horrible. It was. It was absolutely disgusting. It smelled like sour milk. I don't understand what that... Oh, my God. There, There is a time and a place. I can still place. taste it. it was there's, a t- there's a time and a place, but it really doesn't need to be in everything. It was, for me, it was when I had to make 100 truffle cream cheese sandwiches in the uh, afternoon for a wedding I was catering, and I had to immediately follow that up with shucking over 100 oysters in under an hour, right. which averages out at more than one oyster a minute, and I'd never shucked an oyster before. Uh my hands hurt anyway i have tan- i should not have allowed us to talk about food i forgot where we are oh magic versus engineering i like this because it's jumping on from the theme of uh witches versus wizards magic and the mm. different styles that we've had before so with witches you have this scientific approach to witchcraft that say Margaret has she's a research witch uh as was goody before her um this idea of okay well there's all of these different spells that do this thing and yeah. Which version of this plant works the best? Or and then um, you have Oh, sorry. And then you have Granny Weatherwax yeah. who knows it doesn't matter. Yeah. And again, it's the common sense versus logic yeah. ones. And in this case, you have Hex who has been built to try and distill magic down to its essence and work out what the common factor, the Ur spell, is in all of these spells. Mm. Yeah, the idea of the logical rules of magic. Uh which doesn't work on the disc world because there is yeah. no logic. I think Ponder's basically a better vessel for this idea that Pratchett played with with Rincewind with the, oh, we wish that, you know, all of this was logical instead of magical. Everything uh, could just be got, a bit You've got the organized. round world brain in the disc world. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, with, think, the, with the whole, like, him wishing the camera had been something to do with chemicals and glass or whatever. And But yeah, Stibbons makes more sense to have this as a prolonged. Yeah. And Stibbons also makes more sense to have this as a prolonged because... He's never quite taken seriously enough. No. 
Um, and it's something I enjoy about his character is that he doesn't push to be taken more seriously. He just very calmly gets on with it and has that push and pull with the wizards of, yeah, okay, but this is going to work. So I can, yeah, in this it. case, he will die if we don't do it my way. So <laughs> can we just, yeah, just try it? Yeah. And similarly with the witches, I imagine like, uh, as Pratchett said, like, and that's why Granny Weatherworks is a better witch and Magrat is a better doctor. Yeah. Um, and here it is. And um, that's why I'm sure Rid Cully is much better at certain parts of wizardry and Ponder is better at making sure someone isn't smeared across 11 dimensions. Yeah. Ponder would make a terrible arch chancellor. Yes. Rid Cully would make a terrible wizard. Well, no. Rid Cully <laughs> Science, next... research wizard. Research wizard. Yeah. yeah. But I like that Ponder, in creating Hex and trying to impose this logic on the world, has created something not entirely logical. Yeah, because it's suffered from uh, oh, a specialised case of formative causation, which is the risk in the unseen university because the universe is so uh, thin there. Yeah, and yeah, it's the yeah. same reason the books have a mind of their own and things from other realities break through and things become yes. logical in a way you wouldn't expect them to. If you try and do something, it might just happen, and that can be a problem. <laughs> and this means hex has sort of accumulated, and as I was talking about earlier, it's become this huge complicated thing that answers the question why with because yeah and side note ponder is a kind of almost onomatopoeia is quite nice isn't it yes like it's an obvious name play so i never bothered mentioning it but just the fact that ponder is a very good owlish name at the same Mm. time as meaning to ponder it is good yes so yes that's my magic it's magic versus engineering tangent very nice very nice Ha, tangent, engineering. <laughs> Geomet- geometry? Oh, no, no, I just carried on too long. Anyway, historical parallels. <laughs> parallels are in geometry. Yes. Back in more of our wheelhouse, that is uh, not STEM. <laughs> <laughs> well, not my wheelhouse anyway. You're, you're getting more and more into STEM as we get on with life, aren't we? Yes. Um. Anyway, so this is the thorny bit because... As we briefly mentioned. As we've briefly mentioned, the entire idea of kind of compressing like a millennia's worth of a continent's history into a parody book is always going to be pretty thorny. Yeah. Um, I would like to take the book as a whole when we discuss that properly. And I would like to have a proper conversation about it in the third part of this book rather than trying to fracture it into three parts so what I'll say for now is that uh, as Pratchett did say himself I always saw the empire as a kind of China that had conquered a kind of Japan and absorbed some aspects of the culture um which is what I found in one of the forums anyway for this section though I'll just have a look at some obvious like references slash parallels because it is interesting and I think it's well done in certain ways um imperial china is obviously the big well we are drawing from here mm-hmm. uh, although there are some influences from other asian countries it is such a long and complicated history <laughs> that we really can't go into it to detail i mean imperial china went from 221 bc to 1912 ad yeah um so probably probably as far as i can see the relevant periods would be the tang dynasty uh which was 618 to 907 ad which kind of unified china in this kind of way that we're seeing here. And then the five dynasties and 10 kingdoms period came just after that for about 70 years, where five states like in quick succession took over the central part of China. Right. Um, and then afterwards, the Song dynasty reunited it. 
And then there's this kind of period that I think we're referencing here in which the kind of Western portrayal of it for a long time seemed to be quite inaccurate and in that it, it like a period of stagnation right. in China. Um, and so that's obviously what we're playing on here with the bureaucracy and everything like that. Um, it seems like a lot of what was accepted because it came from so few sources, it really was a few Westerners, you know, hopping around, coming back, writing about it. Yeah. Um, now we're able to fill in some of the gaps a bit better. It does seem like basically there was just a lot going on we didn't know about. So that is quite interesting, I think, as the background here we're looking at. Fair that enough. Period-ish. The, it, it was only small mention in this section of the book, but I think it's interesting enough and like wide-ranging enough across the whole book to look into was the examinations. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of having examinations to b- join the civil service, basically, um, as I suppose Knights Oil Operative is, um, was originally in the Tang Dynasty to kind of weaken the hereditary aristocracy. Aristoc- aristocracy. Aristocracy, thank you. Um, and like allow the emperor to do more by having the power more centralised around him. Right. And eventually the kind of prominence of civil service did undermine the military power and their kind of tradition. Right. Um, to some pros, some cons to that in the hundreds of years. Um, but I, I was vaguely surprised to learn that there was indeed a poetry section in some of these. Uh, during the Tang Dynasty, a poetry section was added to the examinations. Um a chi poem in the five-character, 12-line regulated verse form. Um, there's also something that has like its own books written about it called the Eight-Legged Essay, mm. a very specific type of essay that apparently like negatively affected Chinese literature in the end because everyone ended up writing along these lines. Again, I'm not sure if that's one of the Weird Western Not quite, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so basically, it had a lot of pros and cons. It did kind of unify the empire, which is what they were trying to do under certain cultural and literary, um, and the idea of achievement by merit rather than by birth. Yeah. Was kind was of gave aim. a bit more, gave a bit more kind of, it was like an argument in favour of what was still an imperial government. Right. Um, it gave it a bit more power to the people not really but yay Um, (laughs) and that is a massive simplification of something very interesting that i'll link to some interesting articles about because i don't like i could just go on about it for ages and it won't be very good yeah yeah Yeah, the other one the other obvious ones are like the we've got the red army attacking the winter palace we've got the art of war we've got you know the the myriad references to it's interesting because it's a mismatch of asian history and communist yeah, history. So there's quite a lot of Soviet stuff here too. I was going to say the Winter Palace has obviously got that reference, but apparently uh, I read it in the annotated Pratchett that there was also a similar thing with a summer palace in oh. China. So that was actually a like historical reference as well as ah, I didn't a know joke. that. One. The annotated Pratchett: uh, the Russian Revolution Army stormed the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg. Less well known is that the summer palace of the Chinese royal family was indeed just pillaged and destroyed by the British and the French during the Taiping Rebellion of 1860. Fucking Taiping Rebellion, that's something I looked into and I'm not going to talk about at length, at least in this one. Good grief. Yeah, the actual quote from Terry here is, uh, I had storming the Winter Palace in mind because of the events of the Russian Revolution are more familiar to us. Then I came across the storming of the summer palace while reading up on Chinese torture. Yeah. Uh, it took me some effort not to find some joke about the Taiping Rebellion. Uh, I have to say, and as for the boxer rising, dot, dot, dot. I'm quite glad those jokes weren't shoehorned in. 
the what rising? Boxer. Ah, oh, right, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. we can leave that there. Yeah, the typing rebellion is good grief. There was a lot of horrible things done <laughs> by everyone to everyone. I'm very glad there were no puns about it in the book. <sighs> okay. This is something I think we will talk about at length in that should horrible things be joked about or not kind of thing. And that I kind of feel like, yes, in a lot of cases. Um, yeah. And the, but no, in a lot of cases, and it's so sensitive and a lot of, oh, God, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, like, the, it's okay to make jokes about the Mongol hordes, but then this one's a bit close to home and involves colonialism. And <laughs> yeah, the one thing I'll say about this, obviously, we again, we'll have a bigger conversation once we've read the whole book. I mean, obviously, I've read the whole book yeah. once we've discussed the whole book. <laughs> Um, on the making jokes about horrible things, it's mm. it's lots of different factors. But I think, say something like the Taiping Rebellion, I think a lot of people just aren't aware of the atrocities, especially the atrocities that the British and French and Europeans committed there. So it feels weird to joke about it because a lot of people are going to read that and not be aware of the horrible, if that makes sense. Yeah. Although I feel like if you've heard of it at all to get the joke, you know, does that make sense? Well, yeah. But okay. So in the context of say this book, if he had made a joke about a typing rebellion and I'm assuming yeah. something to do with typing, yeah. someone could have quite happily read and gone, ah, funny Chinese name. Right. Okay. Yes. No, I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, good. Point. I'm not saying that's the only time we shouldn't joke about horrible things. There's lots of other reasons to not joke about horrible things. And then there are Disclaimer. <laughs> And if then, you think, yeah, no, yeah. fuck. Okay, yeah, no. Basically, this is difficult to talk about. Um, this is difficult. And what I'm trying to do is add historical context to some of the references um, while not being lighthearted about horrible shit. And it's quite difficult in the context of a comedy book. Yeah. So. <laughs> With that, have you got an obscure reference for Neil Forby Francine? I have, and it's about maths. Yay! Um, <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Uh, so the butterfly, in fact, we're going full circle. Full going circle. back around to the butterfly. So the butterfly, the weather butterfly, the quantum mm-hmm. weather butterfly, that one. Yes. Um, it's described as having a Mandelbrot pattern on it. Mm-hmm. I was like, ha, what's that? Googled. Uh, the Mandelbrot set is a fractal pattern. Uh, so it's it's generated by iteration, which means repeating the same thing over and over again. And a fractal pattern is something that if you zoom in, it just repeats over and over and over and over. Yeah. So it's like uh, the, the stereotypical one is like the, the, the universe being the same shape as neurons and you go in and in and in and that's this whole ooh, ooh, universe is a fractal thing. And I'm not sure if that's anything. But uh, <laughs> and like the um, the thing generated by lightning strikes, what's yeah. that called? Uh, something something pattern. Yeah. God, I'm doing well. Um, <laughs> anyway, this one's called Mandelbrot set. And if you look at it, uh, it is quite pretty. And to imagine it on the side of a butterfly is quite pleasing, especially if you think that as you zoomed in and in and in on this butterfly, it would keep repeating in the same way that its wings are infinitely lengthed while also being small. I like that you've included an example of a Mandelbrot pattern in the show notes and we'll tweet it. Uh, but the first thing I thought when I saw it was Windows Media Player Oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> you know, those animations that would come up where you were listening to music and you oh, sit there nostalgia. and watch them for hours. Beautiful. Strawberry milkshake. Yeah. Still in my head there. Uh, but I'm pretty sure there were Mandelbrot patterns lurking around in that, or at least some sort of fractal. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh god, that's going to piss me off with the lightning pattern thing. Hold on, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> it is called Google Hold Music. Lichtenberg figure. Ah, excellent. Thank you. Don't need whole music. I can Google that quick. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, I think that's everything we have said about the first part of Interesting <laughs> Times. It is. That is a fact. <laughs> Uh, we'll be back next week with part two, which starts on page 113 in the Corby paperback with It Was a Fine Morning. The hideout echoed to the sounds of the Silver Horde getting up. And ends with me stuttering through another. And ends on page 224 in the Corby paperback with And have summoned, said Cohen, all those buggers who think they know what the Emperor looks like. 224, you say? 224. I planned ahead. Well, then you. So we shall be back next week. In the meantime, dear listener, you can uh, follow us on Instagram at the Two Shall Fake Heath. Two Shall Fakey Met. I'm going to try that again. In sure. the meantime, dear listener, I know you're going to keep the fuck up in, but <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at the Two Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at the Two Shall Make You Fret. You can join our subreddit community, r slash ttsmyf. You can send us a pointless albatross, the tree yeah. shall make ye fret pod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us financially, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the tree shall make ye fret and exchange a few pennies for some bonus nonsense. Bonus nonsense. And some yeah. sense. Oh. And in the meantime, dear listener, don't let us detain you. Oh God! I don't know how we're going to talk. I like. I, I. Oh, I'm making myself so uncomfortable.